So today is the last day in this series that I'm doing on faith, of what it means for us to have all-in faith and what that looks like. If you've been with us through this series, you know that in the past weeks, we have been looking at all of these examples from the Old Testament of these different people of faith and how their example of faith is instructive to us and how we live in faith today. I was having a conversation with someone yesterday who was trying to guess who today's character from the Old Testament would be, um, which means you have to remember all the ones that we've done in the past to be able to guess that. Because we've looked at some pretty powerful stories, right? Some people whose faith is awesome. We've looked at examples like Moses, who stands up against the Pharaoh and calls for God's people to be freed from slavery. We've looked at examples like Elijah, who goes on Mount Carmel and builds this altar to God and faces down the false prophets of Baal, and God wins that battle. We've looked at an example like Esther, who puts her own life at risk to save all of the Jewish people who are scattered throughout the Persian Empire. All of these examples of faith are people who we look at and, wow, they did huge, amazing things. Things that, all right, let's be honest. Things like that don't come up in our lives, at least not all that often, right? Our life of faith maybe tends to be much more ordinary. Well, let's look at one more example today. One more example, and here again, okay, this is an example where, okay, this is a guy who did huge, amazing things for God. But let's look at this example in a way that helps us to see the ordinary, everyday way that faith works itself through someone like this. Looking today at the example of Daniel and Daniel's story. So I'm going to read some verses that come from Daniel chapter 6. And this is a story that's probably more popularly known as Daniel in the lion's den. All right? So there are, there are some other royal officials who devise this plot to ensnare Daniel to be trapped into a death sentence by lions. Here's how that story goes. Daniel 6, and I'm beginning at verse 6. So, These administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, and advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, Your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned of the decree that had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about the royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? 
The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decrees you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. Now when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order. They brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, Daniel in the lion's den. Now, I imagine this is a story that perhaps is familiar to most, maybe all of you, a story that maybe you learned as, as a young person, a child in Sunday school class, story that maybe you've read a time or two along the way. But I want us to see what's happening here, all right? So, so let's, let's set the scene, all right? Let, let me give some of the background information of what's really going on with Daniel in the lion's den so that we can see how Daniel's example of faith comes through this, okay? All right, so here, here's what's happening. It's chapter 6 of Daniel. If you know the story of Daniel at all, you know that, well, Daniel's story begins with a pretty sad episode, right? That Daniel is one of, he's born one of the Jewish nobility, so he's a person of high rank in Israel, in the, in the land of Judah. But when he's a youth, when he's a young person, the city of Jerusalem is attacked by Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian Empire, and it is completely destroyed. The entire city is destroyed. The temple of God that Solomon built is destroyed. Everything is wiped out. Daniel is taken prisoner at that point because he's a young person and he shows some aptitude for learning and skill. So he's taken as a prisoner and is made an exile and is brought all the way to the land of Babylon where Nebuchadnezzar reigns over there. So Daniel's story starts with losing his home 
his homeland and everything in it, losing his family. We don't know what becomes of his family. And he's brought as a slave, as an exile to Nebuchadnezzar. It's not a happy story, the way Daniel begins. But then eventually Daniel shows some remarkable aptitude and and he rises to a place of prominence in the Babylonian Empire to where he becomes pretty much the number two guy under the king running all the affairs of the kingdom. And Daniel actually outlives the Babylonian Empire, right? He lives through the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's son takes power. He lives through the reign of that king. That king is assassinated by the Persian Empire, who comes in to take over. Daniel eventually makes his way to be one of the royal administrators in the Persian Empire. So he not only serves as an administrator in the Babylonian Empire, But then he also moves along and serves as an administrator in the Persian Empire. That's where this story lands, all right? So in Daniel chapter 6, he's no longer serving the Babylonian king. Darius is the Persian king. And if you follow the story of Daniel at all, in Daniel chapter 6, this takeover has just happened, all right? So the Babylonian Empire has just fallen just been swallowed up by the Persian Empire. Darius, the king of the Medes and Persians, has just taken over Babylon, right? It's a, it's a power grab that's happening there. That's the setting going on here. Darius is just coming to power in this expanding empire, which now includes Babylon as a part of its empire. All right? That's one detail. Then we figure out that Daniel rises to this place of prominence, even in the Persian Empire, and is in this place of authority. And here's what Darius is doing in chapter 6. He's trying to consolidate his authority around this expanding kingdom, if you can imagine that. He's conquered all of this new territory. He wants to maintain control over all of this new territory. So he organizes. He organizes a hierarchy of governors and officials so that he at the top can maintain control all the way down. That's what's taking place as we enter Daniel chapter 6. That's where we find Daniel then being selected as what turns out to be one of the top three in the kingdom. Right, So there are three administrators, Daniel being one of them, who are over all the rest. Now, I would imagine, I would think that if you were one of these royal officials who's been with the Persian Empire since the beginning, you've been with Darius the king from the beginning, you've served him faithfully for I don't know how many years, and then all of a sudden, as Darius conquers this new land, he grabs this other guy from the Babylonian Empire and says, I'm going to put him over all of you. This new guy who came in, he's the boss now. I imagine something like that goes down, right? And all of these other royal officials under Darius are thinking, what? You're taking the new guy and he's boss? I'm not okay with that. We don't like him. He's not one of us. Not like our kind. He does weird things. Follows all those Jewish habits and laws. So they make a plot, right? A plot to get Daniel out of the way so that they can have their place of authority that they think they deserve or should be given. 
There's a lot of power maneuvering going on in Daniel chapter 6. That's the backstory behind all of this. And you even see it in the decree, the plan, the plot that comes here, right? So here's what they do. These royal administrators come to Darius the king and they say, Darius, we've got this idea, okay? Here's what we think we should do. We think that for the next 30 days, everyone in the empire needs to pray only to you. Let's pull that one apart for a second. Now, in ancient, in ancient Persia, the king was not considered to be a god, a deity, which is not true of all the other ancient empires, right? Um, so in the time when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, the pharaoh in Egypt, the king of Egypt, was also thought to be a god, but not so in Persia. Darius is not one of the gods. That's not a part of their tradition. So what are they doing? Why are they saying all the people have to pray to Darius? Well, this is a power move. A power move where they could say to all the kingdom, especially the Babylonian empire and everything, all this territory they've just enfolded and added, that they're saying to all these people, all right, all the different gods that you serve, right, all all those other authorities that you pray to, you have to funnel all of your prayers through Darius to get to them, right? Darius is the middle guy, the mediator. You pray everything to Darius, and Darius, your good and benevolent king, will bring those needs to the gods on your behalf, right? That's what's happening. That's the power play going on here, where these royal administrators come to Darius and they say, Darius, we've got this idea. And this is an idea where you can make sure all these people who are a part of your giant new kingdom see you as the one authority. Because if they all bring their prayers to you, and then you send them off to the gods or whoever it is that they mean for them to go to, that will tell them the message is Darius is the guy, the authority. It's all pointing to him. Now, maybe you can understand why this was an appealing idea for Darius. The guy has just come into power in this enormous kingdom, this empire, and he's looking to consolidate his authority in that empire. So these administrators are pretty crafty in coming up with this idea because they know Darius is going to go for this, right? Yeah, this is a good thing, Darius thinks. It'll help me demonstrate for all the people that I'm the one who's in control here. But of course, this entire thing comes as a plan by these administrators, not because they're really interested in Darius being the one authority guy, but they want Daniel out of the way. That's their motive behind this, right? So they do this in secret. Darius doesn't know the real reason behind it. Daniel has no idea they're even coming up with this plot. They leave him out of it. Several times in this passage today, right, it it mentions these royal administrators as a group. They all went as a group to the king. They came up with this idea as a group. They went back to the king as a group. That's a Hebrew word there, the as a group, which, which means in some sense conspired together. Like they came up with a plot. It was a conspiracy. 
that they're doing, that they are working this one behind the scenes because they have their own motives. You see, because on the one hand, they're playing to the power game and the maneuvering that Darius is trying to do, but at the same time, they are playing their own power game. It's their own power maneuvering that takes place here. And then comes the lions. Let's figure this one out. Why in the world do they put in this decree, anyone who doesn't do this gets thrown into the lion's den? Here's what the lion's den meant for them at that time and in that place, all right? Maybe we think that the lion's den, the den of lions, is is like this brutal form of execution. This is how they're going to kill someone, but that's not necessarily how they saw it. It was not necessarily strictly an execution, but the den of lions was a test. Let me explain how this goes. That when they would have someone who was accused of breaking one of their laws, one of their human laws, right, and they were found guilty of breaking a law, they would be decreed or sentenced to the den of lions, and they would be thrown into the den of lions, and then, here's what would happen. If the lions kill you, then that means the gods agree you're guilty. But if the lions do not kill you, that means the gods say this person's actually innocent. You were wrong to accuse them. The den of lions was a test, a test for the gods to decree the guilt or innocence of the person who was thrown in. Now, you see pieces of this in the story too, right? You see pieces of this to where Darius, the last thing that King Darius says to Daniel before he's thrown in there, may your God rescue you. Darius knows this. He believes this, that it's happening. When he comes the next morning and he calls out for Daniel, right, did your God rescue you? Look at Daniel's answer. Look at what Daniel says about this. My God sent his angel and shut the mouth of the lions. They've not hurt me because, look, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done anything wrong before you, your majesty. The verdict was given, right? The Lord gave the verdict here, that they put it to the test, and God spoke. All this power play that's going on, right? The power play with Darius trying to be the one guy who's in control of the whole kingdom. Power play of these administrators trying to maneuver and get Daniel out of the way so they can have high positions. All of this power going on and in the end of the story, the one verdict that shows power above all of them and their games is the Lord who gives the verdict Daniel's innocent. He did not do anything wrong. All of your plots, all of your scheming, all of your maneuvers to grab and hold on to power and climb that, all of that comes underneath the authority, the power of the Lord. Because when you put it to the test with those lions, that was the decree that was given. That's the story going on here, right? That's what's happening with Daniel in the lion's den, that it's an opportunity for the Lord to decree his power and 
and he speaks that way. So it's this awesome story of faith of Daniel, right? That Daniel has the faith to do this. He's thrown into this den of lions and he trusts that God will shut the mouths of these lions and he will survive this. And yeah, what do we pull from that? What, what does this lesson bring for us? Because, all right, that's not a real threat for us today, being thrown into a den of lions like that. Not literally, anyway. Or for most of us, I would say, you know what? Not even figuratively do we face things like that in our world. So what's the lesson? What do we see with the faith of Daniel in a story like this? Well, the whole thing comes down, really the whole thing centers on on one main event, right? That they look to trap Daniel by one thing that he does, right? What is that one thing that Daniel does? Well, he prays every day. That Daniel is simply a guy who prays to God every single day. He's got this habit. A habit of praying to God every day, and and that's the one thing that all of these other people around him are scheming to use to trap him and get him out of the way and overthrow him, but but it's that one little thing that is sort of the mark of Daniel's faith, the thing that he does above all other things that they use to try to trap him in it. So what is Daniel doing? Yep, so three times a day he prays and says he goes to his home and the windows face towards Jerusalem. So he opens the windows and he prays towards Jerusalem. All right, this is probably a nod to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8 is where Solomon dedicates the temple. The temple's just been built. Solomon dedicates the temple, and in his prayer of dedication, Solomon decrees anyone who prays towards this place where God dwells will be spared from, um, he names things in 1 Kings 8, famine and disaster and that kind of thing. So when you face a time of famine or disaster, pray towards the temple. That's the instruction in 1 Kings 8. This is likely what Daniel is up to, right? That he prays towards the direction of the temple. Okay, even though Jerusalem and the temple are completely destroyed at this point, he still does that. He is obedient to the word of God just in this little thing that he does every day. I'm going to keep that prayer habit the way I've been taught and instructed to do it every single day. We don't know what he prays or how he prays. We're not given that detail. All we know is he had a habit. I'm going to spend time praying to God every single day. That's the one thing that they use to try to bring him down. That's the one feature of Daniel's faith that we see coming through on this, right? At least it's the one thing the Bible calls out for us that, yep, he's going to stay faithful in that. So what do we see? What do we see in this? Well, we see something about Daniel's faith in the way that it's nurtured. And, well, Daniel's faith is nurtured through the regular habit of what I'll call little things. It's the little things. I know Daniel has this story that's amazing, right? He served the king of Babylon and the king of Persia. He can interpret dreams. He survived lions. That Daniel did all of these huge things with his faith, but, but really, those are the things that God does. What is it that Daniel does? What does Daniel do? Well, Daniel just prays every day. He just makes a habit to say, I'm going to take a little time every day and pray to God. 
And there's nothing magical about that, right? We shouldn't make that mistake. A mistake that says, wow, you know, maybe if I pray three times a day in the direction of Jerusalem that I'll have an invincibility shield around me too, the way Daniel did. That's not the lesson here. It's not an invincibility shield because we should not forget that Daniel is an exile whose home was destroyed and whose family was ripped apart. And it's not that his prayers were some magic shield against calamity. He's faced calamity enough already, more than most of us will ever know. But he maintains this habit. And look how it's described for us that You know, he doesn't make an intentional show out of it, right? It's not down on the streets proclaiming in the corner for everyone to see and hear. But he doesn't hide it and cover it up either, right? So it's not something that he's using as a social agenda or a wedge issue in society around him. But he's not super secret about it either. It's just part of who he is and the habits that he has every day to do this little thing, to pray. I think it shows us, it shows us that a faith that follows God is a faith that's nurtured in little things, right? That that we don't have to be these huge giants of faith and do these amazing things and have these stories for God that are just astounding to have a faith like that. That's not the lesson we see here. The lesson we see is, you know what? It's the little things. It's taking that time to say, you know what? I'm, I am going to find time to pray every day. It's taking that time to say, you know what? God speaks to us through his word, so I'm going to find time every week to be in his word because those are the things that nurture faith and help us to grow. And it's not complicated stuff. It's things that anyone can do. Anyone. Everyone here. You're never too young to be a person who prays, right? God hears those prayers. You're never too old for your prayers to, to fizzle out or not count or, or not be heard. Right? You're, there's no special remedy that's required for that. Anyone here can do that. Right? It's, it's not like you lack the right tools or knowledge because God hears your prayers no matter who you are. It's not like you need a certain amount of, of resources behind you Because God hears your prayers no matter who you are. God's word is there for you to nurture your faith no matter who you are. That's how God builds faith in us. It's there for every single one of us. So find that time. Make that time. Because that's God's invitation, right? It's his invitation to say, I want to be in that relationship with you. And I want that relationship with every single one of you. And every one of you can do it. If you need a place to start with that, often we find that, you know what, doing that with a partner or some accountability helps. So if that's the kind of thing where you think, man, I have tried so many times to 
have this habit of prayer, and I just don't know. It just, I just can't stick with it. Or I've tried this habit of reading through the Bible, but I don't know, I just can't seem to stick with it. Find a way to do that with somebody else. Right? Find a place where you can start into that habit or routine with some others and do that. Find places for that to happen. If you don't even know where to go to look for that, talk to one of us at this church. Come talk to me. Talk to Pastor Barb. Seek us out, right? We're here for you for that, to help make those connections and help bring that for you. We would love to do that, to help you find a place where if you need someone to be with for some time in prayer, for reading scripture, that we can do that together. It's the little things. But God uses the little things to do amazing things. And God is the one here who is always faithful in our lives of faith. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word and what you show us and teach us in your word. That we see through the example of Daniel here the way that you rose above all the others who were trying to maneuver for power and declared that you are the one of power. God, thank you for the example we see that it's just a simple task like prayer and reading scripture that you use to come into our lives and speak to us every day and nurture our faith and grow us. So God, we pray that as you were faithful to do that in generations gone by of old, that you still remain faithful to do that. And when we have difficulty seeing or knowing or understanding that, God, pull us up again. Rescue us as you rescued Daniel so that we may see and declare that you and you alone are God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.